0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on,
0: settings. So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books, contacts,
0: calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to
2: iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs.
3: And welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jessica Hayden, a rugby journalist at The Times, and this is your special Women's World Cup preview podcast. The opening weekend of fixtures takes place this weekend, so throughout the tournament, as well as your usual Monday episode of The Ruck, we'll be bringing you an extra podcast each week on a Thursday, focusing on the events out in New Zealand. We'll speak today with England's Sarah Beckett, who unfortunately didn't make the Red Roses squad for the World Cup, but she's going to join us here to chat about the disappointment and preview England's opening game against Fiji this Saturday. Plus, we'll be speaking to Kira Bevan, the Welsh scrum half, about how the newly professional Wales have prepared for this tournament. But first, Rachel Burford, the former World Cup winner with England, is going to be my regular co-host on this podcast throughout the tournament, and she'll be over there in New Zealand working with ITV. Right now, she's on a plane somewhere in the world trying to get to New Zealand, so I caught up with her early in the week to look ahead at the World Cup. So, Rachel, you're flying out to New Zealand. We're only a few days away now from the, the start of the tournament. How are you feeling?
4: I'm, I'm feeling really excited to get on the ground. Like, I think from afar, you we can just see the amount of kind of coverage and the excitement of the tournament that's building up right now. And, yes, yeah, so I'm getting all those social media glimpses. I'm hearing from some of the players and... I just feel, and I know I know, we always talk about, you know, World Cup cycles, getting better every time, but this does feel really, really different. Um, and I'm really excited for the players that they're on this platform um, like they deserve. And um, so, yeah, I'm just really excited, obviously, with the, the record ticket sales that have, have been announced for the opening weekend at Eden Park. And it's all set. To, to kick off in the right way so yeah I'm, I'm not so much looking forward to the the number of hours flight that I've got to endure I'm, I'm basically going to be in the air from Tuesday to Friday so <laughs> um but yeah can't wait to get on the ground uh, and be part of it um on the sideline
3: Yeah, so if you stay awake for the (laughs) first match, um, I mean, it's a bit of a surprise match. We're not really sure what we can expect from Fiji. Um, As as a pundit, you're going to be there. What, What are you expecting from Fiji?
4: Look, I don't think it'll be far from what we know is their DNA. You know, they want to play a thriving, fast, high tempo, offloading game as we saw them play in the Super W. They can produce some wonderful moments. And if they're able to, you know, stick in the battle against England, now England is probably one of the best defensive teams going into this tournament. And so it will be really challenging. But at the same time, England have never had this kind of threat where runners come really hard at line and have the ability to offload and get the ball away. So, you know, it will pose a different challenge to England. Um, but, you know, England's tempo is probably going to be something that they will, they'll find difficult to, to be able to keep up with just because of the level that they haven't been playing as long as the level that England have been playing at, you know, Fiji's first World Cup. Um, so there'll be plenty, much, plenty of excitement from, from the team themselves. Um, but I think you know, what, what a cracking game to have opening. You know, we've, not, we've not had this fixture before and it, it's going to be an, an exciting opener for, for all English fans, but also for, for everybody back home in Fiji. And we know what Fiji do in terms of their rugby and how they get behind it. So, um, yeah, pretty exciting opening game for England.
3: Those fan bases seem to have grown in the last kind of few months. We're seeing this explosion of women's rugby. Do you think that's in any way because of the the Euro success and seeing how successful the European Championship was in women's football?
4: Oh, it will definitely have an effect and an impact. You know the the amount of people that had eyeballs on. I think it what was it seventeen million people watched. The football and that will make people start being curious about sport in general and I think we're definitely seeing you know the likes of new fans coming in being engaged and wanting to be part of something and I think the Red Roses brand and, and what they've done as a collective group to really engage with their new fan bases you know at the sellout stadiums over the Six Nations you know the players actively say and ask, you know, we want to go around and we want to we want time at the end of the game to go and thank people and sign shirts. And because they know how important that impact is and, and, and keeping hold of it and um, not just kind of being like, oh, well, look, this is great. We've got full stadium now. We, we've done it. It's actually no, no, no we, we're here, but we've got to keep it here. And, and the players take massive ownership of that.
3: See, when at the end of the matches, when I go around at the end as well, I, I often notice girls wearing their girls rugby club hats, which is obviously your work, girls rugby club. And um, what do those girls tell you about what it what, what does it mean to them to have their favourite rugby players coming round after a match and taking selfies and signing shirts?
4: Oh, it, it genuinely means the world to them. And and I think the red the red roses know that, and that's why they do it, because they know the impact it really can have on, on just one person. Uh, and I know we, we focus a lot on, on them inspiring girls, but they inspire adults, women, men, um, young boys, young girls, and you know, it has such an effect on them. And and the biggest the, the other effect in part it's not just oh I've met her it's actually I can be her I could do that and I think when when they're so close to it they've just witnessed an incredible match and then all of a sudden they come over like oh my god I'm talking to you but it's now within their mindset that actually I can be a professional player I want to be a red rose I want all of this I want to take part and I think that's the golden moment
3: So we're talking about accessibility and players being available. But of course, for many Red Roses fans, watching this tournament is going to be incredibly difficult. There are games that kick off just after midnight our time, 4am, 5am, 6am. And the the, the kind of most sociable hour kickoff we have is against France at 8am. Do you think that that will limit the exposure this tournament will have?
4: I think of course, it's going to have some limitations, isn't it? And it's going to, it's not as easy just to be able to be in an evening where you can just put the TV on or it's at a weekend. It Well, it, they're at the weekends. So that that's obviously the the point of where maybe some younger people can stay up a bit later. Maybe parents will make some allowances. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's critical that we capitalise on, opportunity that we have and i think there'll be a lot of smart ways of thinking around social media around coverage around you know what comes after those games are we just going to put the game on and then you know talk about the result as opposed to how do we then re bring that into you know an afternoon slot where can we maybe package things and have highlight shows etc that we're continuously keeping this moving because you know, they are really challenging times. People have livelihoods, people have work, they have family, they have kids, they've got all things to, to begin on with. But having said all that, when this gets momentum, which we're already seeing before game one, people don't want to miss that. They don't want to miss out on that opportunity. And so you know, I think diehard fans will be there and I think we'll we'll pick up a lot along the way as well. But I think it's kind of what, what else can we be doing post the, the final whistle to make sure that what's just been and what's just happened, we get that back out into a, a normal hour in the UK.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point about follow-up shows and stuff like that. And I imagine social media as well will play a big part and the, the Red Rose in particular, but really across the whole tournament, that nearly all of the women's rugby teams have a very strong social media presence particularly on tiktok and that's where young fans are nowadays aren't they they they're on tiktok they're on youtube so that's that's important as well isn't it to to make sure that the fans are still getting that engagement even if it's through a screen
4: oh 100% and you know we've got to be realistic some people don't want to watch the 80 minutes some people just want to watch Jess Breach's highlights of her tries or you know Poppy Cleal's big carrot so you know we've got to make sure that we're catering for all different audiences so that we capture as many as we can and and social media is such a, a great platform when it's used really really well and again I think this is, even 2017, I don't really think we really capitalized on social media. I, I'm trying to think back when I was at the World Cup, like how much did we really use to grow the game? Whereas now it's such a important tool to be able to reach different audiences and and you know cater for those audiences. What do these people want? How do they want to consume this content? How is this going to make them go, oh, actually, I live near the Stoop, so I'm going to pop down and watch Harlequins because I've watched, you know, Eddie Kildan at the Rugby World Cup. So it kind of has all those links into it as well. But it plays such a such a big part when it's done really well. And and I think, you know, even seeing World Rugby's feed and the big media day that all the players had, all the photos being taken, you know, they will all get used consistently and constantly throughout the World Cup. And again, something that we, we never we never had before so um it's such a, a vital tool
3: We talk about what what you never had um when you were playing this is the first world cup that y- you're not taking part in I think for the for 15s you played is it 2006 2010 2014 and 2017 is that right yeah so this, that's right this is your first one where you're you're not playing are you taking your boots with you how are you feeling
4: <laughs> well harlequins are making me take my boots with me to make sure i keep up my running um yeah no i obviously i think it's going to be a little bit mixed emotions right now i i'm not right in it but um i'm just so so proud and so pleased about where the game is um and i think the red roses have so much to do with that in, in terms of how they paved the way over the years and it just makes me incredibly proud that what's going to happen in New Zealand I'm very fortunate to be there and be part of it in some way and so I I guess that's probably helping with my not playing at the World Cup is the fact that I still get that amazing opportunity to be on the ground to witness it uh, and to be part of it and you know it it is going to be the start of something very very special for for long term for women's rugby.
3: Thanks Rachel and just final question I don't know if this is a Pointless question to ask you, but we're going to ask it anyway. Who is going to win the World Cup? (laughs)
4: Um, Oh, I I won't look past the Red Roses. I think the fine form that they're in, the the depth that they have in their squad. Simon Middleton has, you know, he is blessed with combinations, players, rotations, whatever player he starts um, or comes off the bench. They're in such a strong position. and I I have to also just kind of compliment the, the way that the group have gone around their work rate and the level of detail, even though they have been miles ahead of people, they never just sat still. And I think that's a marking of a championship side. So I'm not, I'm going to definitely put my money on England if I was a betting woman, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> but let's not underestimate um, New Zealand, at uh, home soil, they've had a lot to go into um the last what nine months going into this the amount of investment they've had and you know we've seen them improve very quickly over a short amount of time so yeah back in England but they're going to have a couple of teams definitely trying to trying to challenge that
3: Thanks to Rachel Burford for joining me earlier this week. It was great to chat to her ahead of the tournament. We're recording this on Thursday morning, so she'll be in transit. She's currently in the air, I believe, on the way to New Zealand. So we'll hear more from her next week. But we can now preview this weekend's opening fixtures, and to do so, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Beckett. Hi Sarah.
5: Hi, are you okay.
3: I'm good. How are you doing?
5: Yeah, I'm alright, thank you.
3: Good. Now of course, we should we should mention the fact, Sarah, you were in the, the training squad for the World Cup and there yeah. it was a training squad of, of 39. And Simon Middleton, the Red Roses head coach, had the unenviable task of whittling that down to 32 players. And unfortunately, you were one of the players who didn't make the, the final squad for New Zealand. Yeah. Um, but what Simon Middleton said to, to, the, to us in a press meeting was that any of the players who didn't make the squad could have walked in to another test team and because of the, the, the class that England have and that depth in every position. But I'm sure that that doesn't make it any less disappointing Um, when, when you've missed out on, on such a, a dream. um, And I, I would like to say, you know, I'll read out, Sarah, your Instagram post you wrote about it because I think the words are, are, are so good and capture just how difficult it is being in the number one team in the world. So Sarah wrote heartbroken doesn't come close a lot of the time everybody on here just shares the good they don't talk about what it's like to dedicate your life to something and not have it turn out well and your dreams not come true they don't see the hours you put in the occasions you miss the selflessness of of what we do in order to ultimately fail to have to turn around to people you love and tell them you're missing their birthday their achievements an important occasion to try and improve yourself wasn't worth it is probably one of the toughest things I've had to do the guilt and sadness are overwhelming I'm beyond gutted but I'll learn lessons in time and I'll probably need a lot of it I'll learn to be proud of what I contributed to the group I'll learn what resilience truly looks like and I'll learn to be better as a rugby player but more importantly a human thank you everyone for your messages I'll be rooting for the girls and I wish them all the best in New Zealand we've all worked so hard and they deserve to bring some silverware home so what prompted you to 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 write that that status Sarah
5: um, I felt like it was a bit of an elephant in the room, to be honest. Obviously, the squad went out and my name wasn't on it. Um, and we found out, you know, social media is everywhere at the moment mm. and people are commenting left, right and centre. And I'm in a fortunate and unfortunate position that um, I'm, I'm doing this with Mo Hunt and we'd had a big chat about it, obviously both not selected to go to the World Cup. Um, and I'm absolutely good for her as well, but she's been an un- unbelievable support to me. And likewise, hopefully I've been the same to her. Um and we, we chatted about it and, you know, people were coming up to us and asking about it and we just thought mm. we'd rather get it out. um, Hence, which probably post, uh, prompted both of our posts. Um, We thought we'd rather get it out there and, and let people know what we're feeling. But for me also, I think it's a side of the game that isn't explored very much, yeah. you know. You see on England Rugby social media, the girls out in New Zealand and whatever else, and probably not once do people ever think about the girls who are left at home. Mm. Um, And the girls who who have been left and and you know we we all dreamed that dream we all wanted to go to new zealand we all worked as hard as each other um and some girls just don't make it and it's it's tough it's really tough um and social media is both a blessing and a curse because um obviously you're so well connected to people but my all my friends are rugby most of my world is rugby so all that's on my feed is rugby and you know that's tough at the moment, um, and I think that's prompted a couple of the girls who didn't make it to take themselves off social media for a little bit, um, maybe have a bit of a detox. And I think, like, it is incredible the amount of social media presence that's on at the moment about the World Cup, but it's also a bit of salt in the wound for the girls who didn't who didn't make it. Um, so yeah, I guess we just wanted to address the side of the game that many people don't see and the the roller coaster that you do go on as a as an athlete.
3: It's interesting that the extra eyes that we have on this World Cup, it's amazing in terms of the the media coverage and the social media interest. And obviously we've had um, the Where the Rose documentary last week that was inside the Red Roses camp and looking at how you build yeah. up for the tournament. But actually the other side of that, as you've said, that's so interesting that actually that makes it even more difficult for the players that that miss out. And you talked about Natasha Hunt, Mo Hunt there, she's known as Mo, for those who don't know that. How important has that friendship been in the last couple of weeks having to deal with this non-selection?
5: Um, I, I think it's been vital, to be honest. Obviously, I know Mo and we've been teammates in England, but I wouldn't have said she was one of my closest friends or mm. anything like that. Like, we got on fairly well, but um, to have somebody who truly understands what it feels like and like I said on my post heartbroken actually doesn't come close like yeah it, it sounds it sounds dramatic but like it, it is a massive heartbreaking thing and yeah. you know we've been through very similar emotions very similar ways of coping in terms of we've we've ha- how we've grieved this loss for what it is really um it takes time and you know it's not just about not going it's about the memories you thought you'd make or the shared experiences you thought you'd have with people who that you're not going to have um and to have somebody who truly understands what that feels like because your family are absolutely imperative in all of this you know they're vital and I wouldn't be anywhere without them but none of them can understand exactly how I'm feeling whereas Mo gets it like we get each other um and I just think she's been so important for, to have honest conversations with each other um and for somebody who knows what it's like to have been through that training camp and not make it like mm. training was tough training was really tough um and yeah when you fall on the wrong side of that that's pretty heartbreaking to be honest but um I think it I think all the emotions that people probably don't think like for me the main one was embarrassment um right. having to go and tell people that i would not made it or wait for the selection to come out. Like people, obviously people that you care about know when selection's coming out and they say, oh, please let me know. And, you know, send in a text saying, I haven't made it or I'm not going. And, you know, your friends and family, they support you and they obviously believe in you. Like, no, don't worry. Like you're going to go, whatever. They turn around and say, yeah, actually, I'm not going. And um, it's guilt and embarrassment. Guilt's the one I talked about in my post, but like embarrassment, like I didn't want to see... My grandma for example for two days because i couldn't go and face her and tell her that i hadn't made it and that's pretty heartbreaking to do because i'm so tight with my grandma like we're best friends and like when i go home still at the moment like what is it now like three weeks i can't go to which again sounds ridiculous but i can't go to my favorite like brunch place my favorite place to go for brunch because i know the owner and i know she's going to want to talk about it and i can't talk about it yet right um and like i just i think that side of it isn't really recognize like people like there's nothing to be embarrassed about you tried your best and you didn't yeah. make it but like when you're a professional rugby player and then you've not made it in the top 32 that's really tough like you dedicate your life to this and it is quite embarrassing to have to turn around to people and say I'm not good enough or people haven't thought I'm good enough um and having to go through that rejection for what it is really um yeah
3: but I mean, now with all that heartbreak and and having to process that, will you still be able to to watch England play, watch your teammates?
5: Um, I I don't know whether I'm there yet or not. To be honest, okay. Um, I didn't watch the documentary. Um, wasn't able to do that. Um, and it, again, this is where guilt comes into it again because my best friends are in that team. Yeah. Like my my best friends, I've got best friends on the USA team. I've got best friends in the England team. Um, and it's probably easier to watch other teams probably not as easy to watch England but then you feel guilty because your best mate's playing and you want to support and like I said in that post like I'm rooting for the girls I want them Mm. to do well but there's also that little part of you that is like I don't want them to do too well without me but of course that's absolutely taken over by the part of I want my friends to succeed Um, but then you start feel guilty about that little part of you that's having those nagging thoughts um, and I think that's natural to have. But then obviously when it comes down to it, I'll be behind the girls 100% um, and that part of me will go away. Um, but it's tough and it's tough to deal with and that guilt that comes along with it. Um, I think that's that's a big one to deal with. It's brilliant to
3: hear you speaking so openly and honestly about this, especially kind of not being able to to watch the games. That must be so tough. It's something that you've worked so hard towards. I know every player, they got the chance to to choose how they found out the news. Would would you like to share kind of how you found out that you weren't in the squad?
5: Yeah, so we had three choices. We had just find out when the squad got announced at um, the general time. We had the opportunity to have a phone call with a coach before it came out on the group or a text. Um, And I opted for a text message. So Mm. um, the squad was getting announced at seven o'clock and from half past six, if you weren't, going that was when you'd sort of get your phone call or you text. Um, And I sort of had an inkling that it probably wasn't going to be good news. Um, And I'm quite a private person, so I decided to take myself away. I was at home. Um, I didn't want to be with any family. I just Mm. wanted to be by myself. Um, So I went and sat at the beach at home um, and obviously got that text message. And then, yeah, sat there, cried my eyes out for a little, well, not for a little bit, for a long time. Um, And then my mum and dad, basically begged me to come back home so um I went back to my dad's house and my mum came round and yeah I basically just cried cried for the whole evening um and then that's when you go through that whole rollercoaster of emotions obviously first of all you've got it like you're absolutely gutted
0: yeah
5: you go through like a whole spectrum like anger um devastation heartbroken like not understanding because the, the thing is when you're an athlete and anybody will tell you this like you believe that you should be there because if you don't believe you should be there you're not gonna be good for the team do you know what I mean like Mm. you've got to have belief in yourself and um obviously you believe you're good enough to go and then when somebody else doesn't see that in you that's kind of tough to take um and like I think I think uh, another thing that you get messages from obviously friends or teammates or whatever and that can make it it's, it's so nice to receive that support but it can make it harder as well um and I know, like, a couple of girls just turned their phones straight off because yeah. they couldn't deal with the messages or... Um, I mean, I I chose to reply to them because um, that's what worked for me. But, um, yeah, some girls couldn't look at their phones for a little bit or um, something, but then... Yeah, I think it's all different ways of dealing. Like some girls haven't gone back to rugby quite yet. Some girls wanted to get straight back in. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just very, very individual.
3: And I know Simon Middleton said that the players who weren't selected, it's a long tournament. They should be staying fit. They they should be prepared to go. If you were to get that call at some point in the tournament, how do you turn yeah. around your emotions from feeling so disappointed to suddenly being prepared to play Test level? Is that something
5: that you've thought about? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I won't know until or if if the call comes. Do you know what I mean? I've not been in this. Well, I've been in this situation before where I've been dropped from the squad and then had to be called up last minute for an injury. You know, it happened in the last warm-up game um, mm. when I got injured in training. I've had it in the Six Nations um, this year in France. And you just have to go in and try and wipe your slate clean and um, do what's best for the team while you're there. And it can be actually really physically and mentally exhausting having to do that. Yeah, you just have to realise you're there for the team and um, you have to put yourself last in that situation sort of thing.
3: It's so sad here, but we're really grateful for you to being so open with us about that, that transition, that journey. Now, England have their first match on Saturday, 8th October, this Saturday. It's at 4.45. You can watch live yeah. on ITV. It's, that's 4.45pm in New Zealand, 4.45am if you're over here in the UK. Now, Fiji, this is the first time that England have played
5: Fiji. What are yeah. you expecting from them? Um, I think they're going to want to play open, free flow in rugby. Um, I think they'll be very physical. Um, they'll probably like a few offloads um, and try and get in behind us. Um, so, yeah, I expect them to cause a little bit of chaos, to be honest. And that pool, let's just talk quickly about pool C, so it's Fiji,
3: England, France and South Africa. France, obviously, we see every year in the six nations, yeah. it tends to come down to the wire between England and France. Is having someone that's like a familiar rival in the in the pool nice for England? Is it more of a challenge? Is it what can you just kind of as a as a player how do you think the the squad will be feeling about facing France compared to South Africa, who, who, you know, in comparison?
5: Yeah, I think it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because we're so familiar with them. Obviously, we played them a lot in the last couple of years um, and thankfully we've come out on the upper hand quite a lot. So, psychologically, I think that's a bit of a boost for us um, mm. because we know how to, how we've beaten them before, but you never, I think the thing with France is they're so unpredictable. You never know what yeah. you're going to get um, and we're we're so aware that um, and the girls will be so aware out there that they can produce magic from nowhere. Mm. Um and that's what makes them so dangerous and it depends which France turns up. Um, <laughs> but I think it's also nice to have some familiarity with players, with their style of play, um, and know what you're going up against. Whereas South Africa a bit of an unknown entity for us. Um, we had um well, the girls had the training session against them in the autumns when I was in camp. Yeah. Um And that was nice to train against them and sort of good to to know a bit more about them. Um, I'm sure the girls and the staff are all watching their clips of games that they've played and um, getting a good handle on how they're playing and what they're doing. Um, And I'm sure the girls will do a good job against them.
3: What's your prediction for Pool C then? Um,
5: England will come top, hopefully. France, I don't know, I've not. I reckon... Oh, it's really hard to I don't. I, to be honest, I don't think I know enough about South Africa and Fiji to mm. pick between, between them. But I'll go with Fiji and then South Africa.
3: South Africa, bottom of the pool. That's interesting. It's a. I mean, it's yeah. a. It's a. It's a tough pool. Know. It's being called the pool of death, and I think that's because yeah. for, for South Africa and Fiji, that's an incredibly tough pool to get get out of. Um, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, when you're facing two teams that play very regular rugby with not just the six nations but also autumn fixtures and england being the number one team in the world as well as being on the back of a 25 consecutive win streak which of course you know you've been a, a big part of now pool b we'll just quickly go through the pools you've got canada usa italy and japan any players or anything from that pool that you're looking forward to
5: um i think the usa canada game is going to be a really good game obviously they're known rivals as well in terms of they play each other a lot. But I think from the game against USA that England played, USA have come on a lot. Yeah. Um, Canada obviously had a, a tight-ish game against Fiji. So I think that game, will. I think they're, they're, they're very competitive against each other, aren't they? So I think that'll be a good game to watch. I think Japan could be a bit of a surprise coming in. We've never played Japan while well, I've been in the England setup, but knowing girls who have played them have said they're a tough game. Um, and they had some... Some results against Ireland that they batted them one game and then got beaten in the other game. So it's kind of interesting to see how they do. Um, And Italy going in, you know, what Italy bring. They're a good side. So I think they could go and upset a few people as well.
3: Italy always seem to surprise when you least expect it. And I think that they're often written off, but they absolutely shouldn't be. So that, that pool B, Canada, USA, Italy, Japan... I think could be actually one of the most exciting pools. I,
5: I actually think that's one of one of the tightest pools yeah. in terms of um, results-wise. I think that's going to be really tight and really interesting to see as much as you call um, pool C, pool of death. I think that one could be pool of death as well in terms of trying to get out of it and trying to get the results that you thought you might get.
3: We're speaking to Kira Bevan from Wales shortly, and she's in yeah. Pool A with, with Wales and Scotland, Australia, and New Zealand. And I'd imagine that Kira might think that Pool A is Pool of Death because that's got <laughs> New Zealand and Australia in it, and of course familiar rivals again in Scotland. That's again like a, an incredibly close group, and that between Wales and Scotland, that's that's going to be incredibly close. And then that's going to be the third spot, I guess, in that pool. You'd imagine New Zealand, Australia. Do do you agree, or would you disagree with that?
5: um no i i think i'd agree with that i think new zealand are obviously odds on favorites to win that group i think they've shown massive improvement um since the autumn series in their last couple of games which has been very evident to see i think i think scotland and wales is going to be a really tight game isn't Mm. it i think that's going to get a bit fiery but uh, yeah to be honest i think there's going to be a lot of very tight very good interesting games to watch so yeah i think i think it's going to be a tight one i think that's Uh, yeah I think every every pool is tough to get out of if you're in that scrap for the for the last sort of place so yeah it's going to be an interesting one.
3: Are there any players in the England squad that you've been training with that you think will explode at this tournament any kind of
5: rising stars in the squad? I think Sadia played really well in the USA game um she's obviously starting this weekend I think that that she, she has a big and massive future ahead of her. I think obviously Marley has been playing really well for ages. She's not gonna bolt because she's already at the top, but just consistency from her is going to be absolutely crucial. Mm. Both sevens that I've mentioned. So we've also got some some young
3: players. There's Maud Mier on the on the bench and, and yeah, Connie Power think... as well. She, Connie's only got five caps. Lucy Packer, she's on five caps as well. She's on she's on the bench and you you know, yeah. you'd have known her from Harlequin's you know is is it exciting squad, isn't it? Because there is actually quite a mix of ability. Even though we see them as like the the very the most experienced squad, there are some young players coming through with with you know Sadi has only got four caps. Who yeah. you mentioned earlier.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think to be honest, I think Maud's a good one. Um, Maud's been unbelievable in training um and she's she's an unbelievable player and just so good for the squad in terms of morale. Mm. Um she doesn't mind being the butt of a joke a few times so <laughs> um I think she yeah she could have a massive tournament as well. I think people would be surprised at how well she can play.
3: Sarah thank you so much for joining us and for being so open. We wish you all the best. And obviously, wish England all the best as well. But we're just really grateful for you to be have such an open conversation about the really the dark side of rugby that we don't tend to to hear about as much. So thank you very much. Next up, I'll be heading into the Wales camp to chat to scrum half Kira Bevan about how Wales are preparing for the tournament. Kira, hello. How are
1: you? I'm very good, thank you.
3: Good, good. So, it's a big week. We're in the World Cup week already. Are nerves creeping in now?
1: Um, A little bit, yeah, you could say that. I think everyone's got that little bit of edge about them, but I think it's it's good news because we know the task in hand, really.
3: Yeah, so you kick off against Scotland on Sunday, the 9th of October. 5.45am kick-off for those... Over here and 5:45 p.m. for for you in New Zealand, that's a that's a big game to start with. Um, but it's kind of a, a opponent that you know well. How how are you feeling about that match?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a massive game, and personally, I'm I'm really excited. I think it's it's a it could potentially be a very good way to kick off our, our World Cup campaign if if everything goes to plan and we stick to the game plan that we've put in place. Um, So, yeah, really, really excited and uh, hopefully we can go out on Sunday and get, get a job done.
3: Great. And now in New Zealand, I saw online that you had a lovely welcome to the country. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about it?
1: Uh, yeah, so when we when we landed in Auckland, um, Cecilia's uh, family, uh, was quite a lot of them, um, they all welcomed us in the airport with like chocolate uh, necklaces and, and things like that. So that was really nice and obviously it was great for her as well to see that. I don't think she's seen them in a good couple of years, especially with COVID and before that. So yeah, it was great for her and yeah, they just made us feel really welcome as a squad
3: we should just mention that Cecilia is one of the the Wales players um who is traveling over to New Zealand and is Mm -hmm. causing quite the stir as such a a phenomenal player and character she's big on TikTok Kira are are you is she is she the is she the best TikToker in the squad or, or are you trying to claim that crown
1: oh god no she can have that she's yeah she's brilliant um She's probably too cool for this squad, to be fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she's brilliant, and she is, and yeah, the opening ceremony on, on Monday in Auckland, you know, I think all eyes were on her for a little bit of that as well, so she's just got such a nice way about her, and yeah, everyone loves her.
3: What happened at the opening ceremony with Cecilia?
1: Um, well, she just got up and started doing a Tongan dance, I think, <laughs> and yeah, it was it was brilliant, and yeah, you know, her. I know her culture means a lot to her and her yeah. roots and stuff. So for her to be able to get the opportunity to do that, um, it, it's great for her. And yeah, she smashed it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the build up to this World Cup, obviously for, for Wales, you, you you face Canada and England and two quite big losses. 73-7 mm. to England, 31-3 uh, to, to Canada. They're, you know that's playing the top team in the world in England and the third ranked team in Canada playing the best mm. in the game is that the the best way to prepare when you've got a, a pool with, which is quite a challenging pool as well for wales
1: um i think i think we we just took positives from them games um you know especially the the canadian game we, we you know we made six line breaks mm. um so for us i think it's just about finishing those opportunities because we know we can create them um and likewise against against England, it was just about staying in the game for as long as possible, you know, where they, well, they are the best team in the world and, you know, if we can create stuff against them and, mm-hmm. and you know, finish it off, we're, we're in a pretty good place. Um, so I think that's what we'll be looking to do against Scotland on Sunday is, you know, we can create the opportunities but, but can we finish it off, really? So mm-hmm. that that's probably one of the biggest things that we'll focus on heading into the weekend.
3: It was a tight match in the Six Nations as well. We should say against Scotland. Mm-hmm. It was there was only five points in it. Uh, a new one, of course. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a tight contest, I imagine on Sunday.
1: Yeah, very very tight. And I think I think we're subconsciously preparing for that. I think we know it could potentially go down to the wire. And you know, like like you just mentioned, you know, we had the better of them in the Six Nations, but we we know a World Cup is a completely different different um, aspect. Um, it's you know it's their first World Cup for a very long time as well, and they're going to come out all guns blazing, and mm-hmm. I think we just need to mentally prepare for that and and not take it for granted. And you know they were actually beating us during the Six Nations during that game, so yeah, you know we you know we ideally don't want to leave it as late as as what we did in in the Six Nations, but you know our mindset is to, to just go out early and and hopefully get a job done fa- fairly soon. But I'd imagine as well they're probably thinking the same thing, so. But we have massive respect for Scotland. So, yeah, it should be a very good game.
3: It will be a thriller, I'm sure. And then after you play Scotland, you've got New Zealand up next on Sunday, the 16th of October. Mm -hmm. That's a 3.15 kickoff. Uh, That's a.m. if you're in the the UK. That's that's on ITV and S4C. New Zealand, home nation, (laughs) second best team in the world. Incredible to play them on home. So are you excited for that or more nervous?
1: Um, a bit of both, yeah, like you said, you know, um, home World Cup for them. Um, they've got Australia this week, so that should be a very, very good game for them as well to mm-hmm. open their World Cup campaign. And yeah, we head back to Auckland for that one, and I'm sure it's going to be a thrill. I you know, having having heard how, how ticket sales have gone for this week's game. So yeah, really excited, I think, for that one. And um, yeah, hopefully we can, you know, put a good show on for the home crowd and for our families coming out as well.
3: Yes, we should mention your mum and dad, the ultimate <laughs> Wales rugby fans. I, I used to see them at Swansea when you played there, and then <laughs> at, Bri- at Bristol, and they're all. I think your your mum's the the loudest supporter on any touchline. Are you excited? Oh. Are they are they coming out to New Zealand?
1: Yeah, I think they're somewhere in the air now. Actually, I think oh. they've taken off from Adelaide, so they're on roofed as we speak. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they'll be they'll be buzzing to get out here and. I'm sure you'll spot Liz somewhere in a daffodil somewhere in the crowd.
3: <laughs> It'll be lovely to see some daffodils in the crowd, actually, and how lovely yeah. it for you to have them there. Um, and then the final game in in Pool A will be against Australia. Again, a, a big nation to face. This is a tough group, um, but
1: mm-hmm.
3: Australia again. You know, are you feeling confident about that match?
1: Um, Yeah, I think I think obviously our main focus is obviously the Scotland game and getting a yeah. job done there. But we we can't hide from the fact that you know we are going to be playing New, New Zealand and Australia as well, and we kind of do have to have some form of eyes on that a little bit. Um, But yeah, we we we'll be, we'll be looking to, to you know hopefully you know get a result as well against Australia. You know, but we know they're going to be a very tough physical team, and after watching them in in Pack Four in the summer, you know it is going to be a tough challenge. So. Yeah,
3: we should say for those not aware of how the pool structure works, finishing third could be enough to go through to the knockout stages. So really, this game against Scotland is huge, because even if, you know, coming yeah. against Australia, New Zealand, really tough rivals, Scotland much closer. This game, Scotland against Wales, it, it just feels to me like that could be could potentially be the decider of who goes through to the knockout games.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I think as as a squad, we're all we're all aware of that, and I'm sure yeah. the Scottish girls are as well. So, there is a lot riding on this on this first game, and um, yeah, ide- ideally, we you know we want to win two two games, and you know obviously mm-hmm. at th- three, um, we don't kind of want to leave it down to points difference. You know, we kind of want to you know control what we can control, and if we can get out of the pool by winning two games, then that makes our life a lot lot easier. Um, yeah, and obviously then if if a quarter-final is on the cards, it's it's not as bad as what we would hope.
3: <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. So Wales, you've been professional since January and you've had a behind-the-scenes documentary crew with you since you turned professional. And that, mm-hmm. that seems to have really helped the, the build-up to this tournament. You've been around the game for long enough. Do you think that this tournament has a, a buzz that we haven't seen before?
1: Yeah, mass- massively. I think looking back to the 24 uh, 2017 sorry world cup in ireland um mm-hmm. just even having the media day we had on on saturday in auckland and everyone having a, a, a picture and a green screen and all that sort of stuff you know we didn't have that in 2017 so even just from like th- that point of view it's it's come on leaps and bounds and yeah there's a lot of a lot of hype even now we're up in fangaray and the the hype up here is brilliant as well and in auckland it was just buzzing so yeah, it, it's come on massively. I'm just really excited to get going now.
3: Of course. And you're travelling with Wales. Some of your best friends are with you in the squad. <laughs> Is it Has it been lovely to be away with them?
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, obviously, Karen's my roommate, so we spend <laughs> a lot of time together. And obviously, you know, Shuan and Cara and um, Jazz, Alicia, you know, we, we all get to spend our days off together going for coffee. And we've all got, you know, we like to do stuff as a squad as well. But then our social battery sometimes runs a bit low and it's yeah. just nice to be able to switch off into a smaller group and and grab a coffee and have a sit down so yeah it's, it's pretty chilled
3: Great well Kira we're wishing you the best of luck and fans can watch at 5.45am that's in UK time so good luck Kira and thank you very much for joining us
1: Thank you very much Thank you
2: and 365-day returns.
3: Thank you, Kira, for that look into the Wales camp. And thank you also to Sarah Beckett, the red rose there, who told us about the awful situation she finds herself in of not even really being able to watch her own team play at the World Cup because of her personal heartbreak and grief, as she said, about not making the squad herself. And of course, thank you to Rachel Burford for that interview we did earlier this week. This has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Normal service will resume on Monday, where you'll get the usual roundup of everything that happens over the weekend in the Gallagher Premiership. Until then, follow or subscribe from wherever you get your podcast from and thank you very much for listening.
0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.